and there's that. I mean, <laughs> welcome to Wellspring Church. We are so excited you are here. My name is Graham. I'm on the leadership team here at Wellspring, and uh, I'm excited to conclude the series that we've been diving in the last several weeks is Marvel, Not Your Average Hero. But before we go any further, I need to ask you all a question. Um, how many of you in your life know someone that you would categorize as an exaggerator? Right? Like someone who's always making bold claims, telling like crazy stories. Yeah, I think we all have those people. For me, it's Pastor Jason, right? Um, Pastor Jason is always making a bold claim that the New England sports teams are the best sports teams ever to exist, right? That, is that true? Of course not, right? Always making bold claims. I know for me, like sometimes I'll have my friends and it'll be like, you know, oh man, I was at the mall the other day and this. This girl was totally flirting with me. And the minute you start like asking more questions about it, like what you realize is what happened is your, your boy was at Old Navy and shopping for a shirt and a sales girl happened to be walking by and said the shirt that he was going to purchase was in fact on sale, right? And your boy came back like, no, there was a moment there like we, were, we had eye contact. It was flirting. And you're like, bro, you're crazy. She was just doing her job. Right? We all have those people in our lives that you would consider like an exaggerator or someone who makes bold claims. But here's the interesting thing about those kinds of people is when you start like pushing on them or telling them to like, bro, you're going to have to prove this, don't they tend to start backpedaling? Don't they tend to start being like, well, maybe it didn't quite happen the way I originally said it or, or you know, it, those weren't all the facts. But every once in a while... A person will come along who makes bold claims. And maybe, just maybe, you would consider them to be an exaggerator. But once you have all the facts and once you see the end of the story, you stand in shock and surprise and you maybe, just maybe even stand in awe and marvel. Let's check out this clip. Um, that guy's name is Steve Rogers. And Steve Rogers was this kid that grew up on the wrong side of town and the bad side of Brooklyn. He had all these medical issues. He was weak and small, but, but Steve would go on to make some bold claims. And maybe like even like his best friend Bucky would categorize Steve as an exaggerator. You know, Steve had these big aspirations that he was going to join the army, go kill some Nazis, and help save the world. Well, we know the end of the story for many of us that Steve Rogers would eventually become the Captain America, you know, the big buff guy, and would in fact go on to save the world time after time after time. Well, this morning we're going to look at a similar story in the Gospel of John when a seemingly average hero was beginning to make some bold claims. And possibly to the men and women around him at the day, they would have classified him as an exaggerator. But you see, instead of doing the normal thing, instead of when people started to question him and people started to push on him, instead of doing the normal thing, he was going to do something not so average at all. You see, Jesus decided to lean in. He decided to lean into the conversation and make what go on to make one of the boldest claims ever to be said in human history. And that's this. 
is not only is Jesus not just an average hero, not only is he a God, but he is the God. And that he holds the authority that goes along with that title. So the question that you and I are left with this morning is how do we respond to a Jesus that is claiming to be God? Not just a hero, not just a guy in the history books that said some good things, but a literal hero to us and not only a God, but the God. So I hope you're ready this morning because bold claims require bold answers. So for those of you that are following along, we're going to be in John chapter 5, starting in verse 19. But before we go any further, I think it's helpful that I, that I bring some context to what's happening here. The Gospel of John was written by John, and he was the best friend of Jesus. And the whole purpose of this eyewitness account of the life of Jesus is this, is that you and I would have a right view of Jesus. The whole purpose of the book of John is that you and I would have a right view of Jesus. So as we begin chapter 5, Jesus is traveling around and hits Jerusalem. And as he hits the city square, he sees a bunch of people who are really struggling. People who are dealing with blindness and lame and disabled, and a particular man catches the eye of Jesus. Isn't it unique how Jesus does that? And this man that Jesus caught the eye of, he had been struggling and disabled for over 38 years. And long story short, Jesus decides to miraculously heal this man, completely heals him, and completely saves him. Now, you might say, like, that's an awesome story right? Like Jesus saves someone, like, wow. But to the Jewish people of the day, um, this wasn't just like any normal day. You see, this was a Saturday. And to the Jewish culture, like, you don't do anything on a Saturday. Like, that was a big fat no-no. Like, you just didn't do it, let alone heal someone. So they roll up to Jesus and say, Jesus, um, <laughs> you call yourself a rabbi. Like, don't you know what you just did was a sin, Jesus? And Jesus responds in an interesting way. He says this, My father is working until now, and I am working. Well, excuse me, Jesus. Like, maybe we didn't hear you right. What it sounded like you just said was that God was your, is your dad. And this began the moment in Jesus' ministry where, where the Jews of the time were so angry at Jesus for making these bold claims that they began plotting on how to kill him. But instead of running from the situation, instead of Jesus saying, oh, you didn't hear me right, like maybe, maybe I misspoke, Jesus decides to lean in deeper to the conversation and make an even bolder claim. And that's where we pick up this morning, starting in verse 19. It says, So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing on his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he is doing himself. And greater works than these will he show him, so that you and I may marvel. 
So in these verses, Jesus is making some really bold claims. And claim number one is this, is that Jesus is equal with God. And Jesus begins this declaration of his authority by saying, truly, truly, I say to you. If we were to put this in modern day context, it would be like double hashtagging, hashtag true story, hashtag true story, right? It seems a little excessive to us. But what Jesus is saying here is it's not nearly as excessive enough because Jesus didn't want any confusion. Jesus wanted us to know that I am God. And I'm not just a guy in the history books. I'm not just a wise man. I'm not just not a guy that you should kind of follow or do anything list. But I am the God and the God of heaven is my dad. And that he and we and him and I share the same authority. Uh, growing up, um, I was really close with my grandfather and still really close with him today. Here's a picture of me as a little guy. I know, just so cute. <laughs> But I loved him so much and still love him, and I spent so much time with him, and I wanted to be just like him. So my grandfather was a mechanic, and he was into woodworking, and he was a truck driver, a ShopRite truck driver, for over 30 years. And here's a picture of me with his lunchbox and his hat and his boots. I wanted to be so much like him. Where I, As I got older, I started to hear things like this. Um, you sound just like your grandfather. You have the same mannerisms of him. You have the same worldview as him. You act like him. And the older I got, the more and more I heard these things. And I heard a line like, you are a clone of your grandfather. And for the parents in the room, I'm sure you have these same thoughts yourself. Like my little guys are, are turning into mini me's in the good ways and the bad ways. I mean, some of you might be saying, I wish they would be a little less like me. But listen, God Almighty doesn't have any bad ways. And Jesus is declaring here that he is equal with God and shares the same authority as his Father. Now, these verses end with an interesting line that has gotten me kind of thinking. And that's this. And greater works than these he will show him so that you and I may marvel. What's happening in this verse? What's happening is Jesus is looking ahead to the cross. Jesus is looking ahead to the cross. That It was only two or three weeks ago that we were celebrating Easter. That God of heaven saw that there was a sin problem, that you and I had a sin problem. But he loved us so much that he would send his son to this earth to live a sinless life. And that would eventually lead him to the cross on our behalf. And that he would die paying the final price for our sins. And that three days later, he would claim victory, rising from the dead. And that these bold claims would become perfect truth. And then afterwards, that we would look at Jesus. That we would look at the cross and look at the tomb and we would look at Jesus and, and the sacrifice he made for us and the love that he's shown us and we would stare at him and marvel. That we would marvel at Jesus for everything he's done for us. But here's a question that I've been struggling with. And a question that I was struggling with when I was studying the scripture is this, is what, do, what am I, what are we supposed to do with it? 
Like, what are we supposed to do with it? Like, yes, I know we're talking about the authority of God and of, and of Jesus, but how is that relevant to me? How does it affect us? And I think it's this, is, and maybe this is just a struggle that I deal with, maybe you don't, but I feel like oftentimes we substitute authority for experiences. That we substitute authority for experiences. That we often substitute the authority that Christ should have in our lives for these emotional and spiritual experience in our life that never, ever last. Uh, Heather and I love to travel. And our last trip, we went to uh, Utah to visit Zion National Park. And one of the hikes we did was Angel's Landing. It's this rock formation that stands 2,000 feet up in the air. It is amazing. And as you get closer to the top, you literally have to hang on to chains. Here's a picture of Heather. So you don't like fall off the edge. It's crazy. And when you get to the top, there's this amazing unobstructed vista where you stand in the middle of the canyon and can just look out. And when you're filled with the Spirit of God, you stand there and say, wow, my God is amazing, and look at this creation, and you stand in marvel. But here's the interesting thing about mountaintop experiences, is that when you're up on a mountaintop, whether that be spiritual or emotional or a physical mountaintop experience, um, we tend to have more perspective. We didn't have more clarity of the situation. We can see more of what's happening like I can now. Like I can look out into this audience and see everyone who's going bald, right? Like I have more clarity on what's happening. And normally when we're having an emotional or, or spiritual mountaintop experience, we tend to say things. We tend to be reflective and we tend to say things like, you know, I really need to go back to school and get that degree. You know, I've always wanted to do this thing in my life. I need to go back to school. Or, you know, I really need to start that diet. You know, I've been wanting to start it. You know, now that I'm, uh, I have an emotional experience or, or, or a spiritual experience, like, you know, I've always wanted to do this. I really need to start. Or I really need to start spending more time with my kids. You know, I'm just working so much, and I feel like I'm neglecting time with my children. Or maybe it's your marriage, and you're, as you're having this emotional or mountaintop experience, you'll say, I really need to dive deeper into my marriage. You know, I th see things crumbling around me, and I need to go deeper. But here's the thing about mountaintop experiences, emotional experiences, or even spiritual experiences, is that eventually, you need to come back down the mountain. And I promise you that these emotional experiences or these spiritual experiences are never going to sustain you. When you're dealing with the trials of life or the dark times of life, these emotional experiences are going to fade away. And a lot of us are not uh, seeing God as equal and seeing Jesus as God and we're substituting the authority and the surrender that we should be having to God. And instead, we're chasing these mountaintop or emotional experiences that always fade away. We pick up in verse 21, and it says, For the Father raises the dead and gives them life. So also, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. 
Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. The second claim Jesus is making in these verses is this, is Jesus deserves our honor. That Jesus is is authority over life and over death and over judgment, and because of that, he deserves our marvel and our honor. But so many of us are kind of living in the middle of our faith, that we're not fully bought into this thing, or we're not fully surrendered to who God is and the authority that he deserves. And we say things like, I want to experience hope. I want to experience peace. I want to experience freedom. But, but our faith is tasteless. Our faith feels diluted. It feels lacking of any real power or change. And what Jesus is saying in these verses is he doesn't want authority over part of your life. But he deserves the authority to be the authority in your life. Um, Heather and I have been together, Heather's my wife, Um, Heather and I have been together what feels like a lifetime, and I say that in the most positive way possible. And uh, we were high school sweethearts. We started dating at a really young age. And when I hit my kind of teen years, my late teen years, early 20s, I went through a phase, probably a similar phase, like many of you who went through their 20s or are going into them. And that's things like, I'm an adult now. You know, I really think I want to start doing things on my own. And you see, I grew up in a a really strong Christian family, and I had a vibrant faith when I was growing up. But as I hit my late 20s, and I started saying things like, yeah, God, I I know you should be important to me right now, but I'm kind of busy. You know, I'm I'm starting to work, and I'm struggling through school, and, you know, I need to kind of take care of myself right now. God, I know you should be the authority in my life, but... You know, I, church is kind of getting in the way right now. I'm sure you would understand if I kind of just pulled back a little bit. You know, I'm getting really busy, and, and church is kind of just not where it should be in my life right now. I, I know you would be okay with that. You know, now that my faith and, and, my, and my church life, and my, my, it's just not really important to me. The, the little sins of life don't really seem that bad anymore. Yes, I'm not doing the big sins, God, but, you know, these little sins, like, they're okay. Like, I'm still able to kind of manage. Well, now that I'm doing these little sins, God, like, the big sins aren't seeing as bad as they used to, God. And what happened was compromise after compromise and sin after sin after sin. It led me to a point where I broke up with Heather because I was doing life on my own. She didn't really fit into the plan. And at the time, I think I could have given you what felt like really justified reasons on why I broke up with her. But at the end of the day, it was compromise and sin in my heart and life that led me to that point. And that year that we were broken up, I dealt with tremendous lack of peace and lack of hope. It was the toughest year of my life. And that was because I took God off the throne of my life, and it was all about me, my desires, what I wanted to do. And it led me to a point of falling on my knees before God and said, God, I have ruined everything. 
I have ruined everything, God. I can't do this on my anymore. I can't do this on my own, God. I need you. And it led me to a place of surrender and putting God back on the throne of my heart and life. And since then, God has restored our relationship, and eventually we got married. Here's a picture of us eloping in Central Park, and that horse was literally eating my jacket. <laughs> and since being married, we have devoted our, our, our marriage to Christ, and God has honored us in so many ways. And I don't say that in a bragging way. I say that by saying, do not make the same mistakes that I That in a moment, Jesus wanted me to surrender. In a moment, Jesus wanted me to fall on my knees saying, Jesus, you deserve my honor. Jesus, you deserve to be the authority in my life because you are God. In that moment, I decided to say, I can do it on my own. That I wanted to live this Christian life void of Christ himself. And that my faith in the process became lukewarm and tasteless and diluted. Jesus is fully God. And Jesus is deserving of not just part of our life or part of us, but he is deserving of all of us. That Jesus came not so you could experience half-hearted peace or half-hearted hope, but Jesus came and sacrificed everything for you and I so we could experience life and life right now that he wants us to experience forgiveness and hope and peace now. But so many of us who love compromise and sin drag us to the middle. We finish off in verse 24 where it says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. The third and final claim Jesus is making in these verses is this, is life is found in Jesus. That Jesus doesn't want you to experience judgment. He doesn't want you to experience death, but he wants you to experience life and freedom and hope. And that life is only found in him and him alone. That Jesus has left no room for compromise in our heart. He's left no room for confusion. There's no middle ground to stand on. What these verses are teaching us here is that Jesus is the only way. Friends, um, hell is real. This is an uncomfortable thing to talk about. I don't like talking about it, but I need to talk about it because it's truth, and I love you too much not to share it with you. Is that hell is real, but there is a Jesus who loves you and doesn't want you to experience death and doesn't want you to experience judgment, but wants you to experience life. And that these claims that Jesus made became truth on the cross when he rose from the dead, claiming victory and claiming that he is God. And that the minute that we begin to marvel at Christ, the minute we begin to marvel at Christ and let that marvel propel us to surrender, 
That as we marvel at him and say, thank you, Jesus, for all that you've done for me, it propels us to make God the center of our life. Is the minute that we begin to unleash true freedom and hope in our life that Jesus craves for us to experience. This leads us to our big thought for this morning, and that's this. Is that our marvel compels action. The marvel of Christ compels action. That on the cross, these bold claims that Jesus were making became perfect truth. And that when we look at Christ and allow the marvel for everything he's done for us, for his love and authority in our life, that that marvel would compel us to action. That it could compel us to make a decision because this declaration only allows one thing, to make a decision. What are you going to do with a Jesus who is claiming not to be a good teacher, not claiming to be a wise man, just not a man in the history books? How do we respond to a Jesus who is claiming to be God? Why do we pray for one? Why do we say things like love one, love all? It's because as a church, we believe that Jesus Christ is the only answer. So we get fired up that we go out into the community and show love and kindness because we want to point them to Jesus. Our mission is that we exist to ignite a craving for Jesus by relentlessly loving our community. That's because we've been positioned that we've marveled at Christ and we've allowed that marvel to compel us as a church to action. Jesus didn't leave room for anyone else. It's Jesus and Jesus alone. There is no other God. There is no other religion. It's Jesus and Jesus alone. So here's my challenge for you this morning. The challenge that you and I have to deal with this morning is how do we respond? How do we respond? How do we respond to a Jesus who is claiming more? who is claiming to be God in our life. That the God of heaven sent his son to die for you and me. That he lived a sinless life knowing we couldn't do it on our own. And that cross, that sin would eventually lead him to a cross for him to say that you have worth. That I am willing to sacrifice everything for you because you have worth how do we respond that for those of us we are settling for lukewarm faith that Jesus wants us to experience so much more in our life that our faith feels tasteless to us we're dealing with diluted peace and hope and a lot of us are running to these experiences a lot of us are saying I, you know this is good enough well, I promise you in the valleys of life, good enough is not good enough. But when we surrender our heart and life to Christ and move out of the middle and move to a vibrant faith, God will allow us to experience so much more. So much more. And those of you that haven't said yes to Jesus, that you would allow yourself to look at Christ and everything he's done for you, that you have more than just mistakes in your life, that you have this guilt and shame and you're not sure what to do with it, but Jesus looked at you and said, you have worth 
and value and I'm willing to give up everything for you. That you would look at him in a state of marvel and say, Jesus, I want to be compelled to action. I want to be compelled to trust and believe in you. So how do we respond? I want to take a moment to pray. So let's, let's bow our heads and let's pray. For some of you in this room this morning, you've been dealing with this struggle of saying, I think I'm, I'm living in the middle of my faith. And I want to pray for you right now because I've lived it and I've experienced it. I know what that half-hearted faith tastes like. I know what it feels like to be operating with no faith at all. And you're saying, you're like, I'm tired of dealing with this lack of peace and lack of hope. And I want to experience, I know what all that God has for me. So if you're in that moment right now, I don't say this as a judgment. I say that Jesus is reaching out his hand to you saying, I want you to experience more. So if you're in that place right now, I want to pray for you. So I'm not going to embarrass you. I simply want you to make eye contact with me. I just want you to look up with me so I can pray for you. See you. Let's pray. Journey Father, I pray for the people that are in that valley right now. They're living in the middle of their faith, and I, I thank you that they have been bold enough to say, I'm ready to get out of the middle. That God, I know you have more for me. I know you have deeper purpose for me. I know you have deeper peace for me and hope and love, and I want to experience all of it. So God, I hope that they begin to recognize that they need to say, I'm done doing this on my own. And let that surrender drag them out of the middle and into your arms, God. So I pray that they'll be bold enough to take action. I pray that they'll be bold enough to let their marvel of you compel them to move out of the middle. I also want to take a moment to pray for those who, who maybe haven't said yes to Jesus yet. That saying yes to Jesus is the best decision you can ever make as an easy as A, B, C. A, admit that you're a sinner. Admit that you have more than just mistakes in your life, but you have this sin problem, and you know you can't take care of it on your own. You've tried every way, but you know you need help in this area. B, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe that he deserves honor, and believe that he deserves authority in your life, and believe that he sacrificed everything for you on a cross. And he took the penalty that you deserve, that you and I deserve. And out of love said, you are worth it. And then see, confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. If you prayed that prayer, I need to let you know that it's not the prayer that saves you. It's the trust and belief that saves you. And if you're in that moment saying, I'm ready to give it all to God, I've been running too long and I'm ready to give my life to Jesus. I want you to make eye contact with me now because I want to pray for you. Let's pray. Journey Father, I thank you for the men and women that said yes to you. I thank you that they, they just started their journey with you. I thank you that right now in heaven there is a party being raised in their name. And God, I, I pray for them on their journey. This isn't going to be tough. This isn't going to be easy. They may not have all the answers. I still don't have all the answers. 
but they are now propelled in a journey that they're looking at you and marveling at you and that that marvel compel them to live a life of striving for you. So God, we love you right now. We thank you for what you've done for us. We thank you that we can marvel at you. We thank you that you're not just an average hero, but you are the God. So God, we love you, we thank you, and we thank you that we can stand and worship and marvel at your beautiful, beautiful name, God. And in your name, Jesus, amen. Thanks for joining us today. If you'd like to stay connected, go ahead and subscribe to our YouTube channel, follow us on Facebook or Instagram, and if you would like to help us with our mission of igniting a craving for Jesus by relentlessly loving our community, you can find the link to give and all the other ways to connect with us down in the description box below.